Well, after last week, I, I, I don't know how you all felt, but I felt like I was a Davy Downer and uh, getting down on America and looking at, you know, the need to be awake to the world around us. And the second week we looked at truth and lies and being able to discern the difference. And we live in a world that is driven by lies, and yet we are people of the truth and the light. And because of that, uh, as we look at America, I think we do have to be honest about the sins of our, ourselves as a nation. The, 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 the decisions we make and how they have implications around the world. We've seen some of that just this past week with China's uh, sending sorties into Taiwan airspace and it makes you wonder, will we, will we see a war in the next year? How much do we bear responsibility because of our our public weakness as a nation. How many people will die because we don't do our duty? So I can get kind of down on things. And yet, what I want to share with you today is an idea of that we need as believers to live in hope. As much as I, I look at the landscape of the world around me and say there is wickedness, there is uh, evil in our actions, We as believers need to live in hope. We have Jesus Christ. We don't live based on what the military does or what the government does or what the economy does. We live based on Jesus Christ and God's Word. What He has declared, what He has proclaimed, what He does. And so as, as we look at the world around us and you know, issues political and cultural one of the, the, the first things I think we as believers, and I think this is what Paul is getting to in our passage today, which is out of Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, we as Christians need to band together in love. Christians need to, to I originally said bond, and I changed it to band, because we need to come together and hold together. We need to work together as believers in the world. The, the, the worst thing, I think, well, I don't know if it's the worst, but one of the bad things that came out of the last year and a half or so is the divisions it has created within the church. Now, there, there, there have always been divisions within the church. There's been, uh, you know, when do we baptize? Do you baptize babies? Do you baptize believers? What do you believe about the Pope? What do you believe about the Lord's Supper? Is it, has it become the body and the blood of Christ? Or is it merely uh, that His... He, his Presence is, is there, or is it just a symbol? There have always been these little divisions. What's the right way to worship? Can we use musical instruments or not? And, and believers will separate based on that over time. And so you've got Baptists, and you've got Presbyterians, and then you've got uh, Assemblies of God, and you've got Church of Christ, and even within all those groups, you've got subgroups. But it's been very sad to see the church divide not on spiritual matters, although everything really is a spiritual matter, I think, but not, not maybe a better term would be theological matters. And instead of uniting together and trying to get through a difficult time together, it became, you're not doing the right thing. No, you're not doing the right thing. And a lot of, a lot of finger pointing. 
a lot of anger. And it's still going on today. And, and, and if things are going to get worse for the church, if we're going to get to the point where the government can say, ah, you're not allowed to gather together at any time we think because of health reasons, we have got to band together. We need to band together, not just strategically or in our minds, but in love. That our love for one another would strengthen and grow. And as we think about the world and operating in it, how can we help one another? How can we encourage one another and be there for one another in difficult times? It's been suggested that we may see very soon, and I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but we might get to the place where People won't be able to go shopping if they don't have the right medical situation. What will we do then if people can't keep their jobs because of different rules that the government comes out with? Will we support them? Or will we say, well, that's your own fault? How will we operate together as a church? We see in the New Testament the church working together quite a bit. The Jews in Jerusalem, when they became Christians, they started getting cut out from all the the power structures and the ways of the world. And when there was a famine, that really hit the Christian church in Jerusalem. And so you saw Paul bringing money and offering from first Antioch and then through Galatia and, and through Europe. He made a collection of an offering for the saints back in Jerusalem because they were struggling so hard. We see this happening quite often in all those cities where people became believers. If you were a Jewish person who had a job and a business, you probably, much like today, predominantly served other Jewish people. And if you became a Christian and then they didn't like the fact that you were following Jesus now, they didn't want to accept Jesus as the Messiah, they might reject you and cut you out and not shop at your store anymore. And so Christians throughout the countries while Paul was uh, alive were facing those kind of issues of being uh, blacklisted because they had chosen to follow Jesus. And it's within that context that he tells us in, in chapter 12, verse 9 of Romans, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let our love for one another... It exists not as a show, uh, but that it would be genuine. That we would have genuine, open love for one another. If we don't have love for one another, then we need to be honest about it. right? If, if, if our love for one another is not a happy clappy, but it's a steady, I'll help you if I need to, we need to be honest about it. We need to be genuine, not hypocrites, not putting on a mask of love, but showing true love to one another. Part of how we love without hypocrisy is to abhor what is evil, to to detest what is evil, and to cling to what is good. So so as we love, our love can't say, well, because I love you, I'm going to love your evil too. And we can't do that with the world, can we? We can't say, well, because we're going to be loving, we're going to accept everything that the world does. Tolerance up until recently was the idea of, I don't like this, but I will put up with it. You, know, you tolerate pain. That doesn't mean you like the pain. 
you tolerate it. You put up with it for a time. You can tolerate heat for a while. You can tolerate cold for a while, but that doesn't mean you accept it and live in it. And so we are not to uh, tolerate, well, tolerate though recently has become and changed into the idea of acceptance. Not just put up with, but approval even. And if you don't give acceptance, and if you don't give approval, then you don't tolerate people. But that's what we're supposed to do. As believers, just because we're going to love doesn't mean that we have to accept everything. In fact, we're supposed to abhor those things that are evil and to cling on to, hold on to, stick with what is good. So even in our lives together, we need to say, I don't like the evil stuff. I'm going to hold on to the good stuff. And as the world around us, we can't, you know, even if the world will reject us because of it, even if they will judge us as being horrible people because of it, we cannot cling to and accept what is evil, we must detest it and cling to what is good. He says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. To have a family love together is what he means by devoted. That we would have a kindly affection for one another in brotherly love. And by doing that, we would give preference to one another in honor. He says something similar in Philippians where he says don't consider your needs is higher, but consider the other person's needs. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Don't be lazy about it. Don't be waiting for somebody else to do it for you, but rather fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We should give preference to one another as an action of service to the Lord. He tells us in verse 12 that we should be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So as we think about the church operating in the world around us, and and if the world becomes more and more hostile to the church, what will we do? There will be some who will just go along with the world. We need to decide that we are going to have our love be without hypocrisy. Not putting on masks. Not just love for one another, but even the world. Jesus loved the world in this, to the point where He gave His life. That doesn't mean He told them they were okay the way they were. He died on the cross because we weren't okay the way we were. His love for us was not hypocritical. He abhorred what is evil and He clung to what is good. And that's what we need to do. We need to say, okay, we're not going to accept things that are wicked. We're not going to go the way of the evil. We're going to hold on to what is good. And we need to hold on to one another, to be devoted to one another in love. To consider one another as more important than ourselves. To give preference to one another. And how often do we do that? Do we come together and say, what does the other person need? What do the other people in church need? What what are the needs out there? Or do we come together saying, who's going to do for me? This isn't what I want. I want this other thing. I'm going to go find what I want. And there's no love. There's no devotion to one another. It's a desire for what makes me feel good or what fills my heart up in some way. It says that we need to be diligent about how we serve with one another. We need to be actively looking for these opportunities. And I I love this in verse 12 that we would rejoice in hope. Even no matter how bad things get, we can still rejoice. Rejoice does not mean happy. 
Joy is not the same thing as happy. To rejoice in our hope means that no matter what's going on, we still say, but I've got hope in the Lord. I've got joy in the Lord. I'm excited about seeing what is God going to do in the midst of my trials. And that's how, that's how you get a guy like Paul and a guy like Silas singing in prison. Because no matter how bad the beating was, they were thinking about Jesus and they were rejoicing in their hope. He says, persevering in tribulation. To, to be patient while we are going through tribulations. And I don't know about you, but when I'm going through tribulations, it can patience dwindles, doesn't it? And who, who gets to feel the lack of my patience when things are not going well? Whoever's right next to me. Right? I might bite their head off because I'm upset about a bunch of things. And, and that's going to be family, and that's going to be the church, right? So we have to be patient as we're facing the tribulation to be patient and not... Uh, take it out on one another, but to endure and be devoted to prayer. And that word for devoted is, is different. That means constant, persisting in action. That we would focus on keeping our, our thoughts and our prayers to God. And then in verse 13, that contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality, that we would care for one another, that we would welcome one another in our homes, that we would invite one another into our lives, that we would practice hospitality with one another. And we might, in time, need that even more. I was um, convicted of that during the freeze a little bit. Now, granted, we didn't have a whole lot of power. going. Well, we didn't have power, and our house was cold. But, you know, I guess it would have been better than somebody else's house, maybe. We were so focused on making sure we could keep warm and, and fed, feed our kids and, and do this and that. Well, and I, we didn't even have phone service at the time, really. But I, I saw other people who were like, oh, yeah, we had so-and-so over in our house, and we had so-and-so over in our house. And I have a sister-in-law that they were able to go and stay with a lady because their power was out. And I just remember thinking, you know, I am not good at thinking about things like that. You know, I need to be better about that, about contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. That, that is, Paul is instructing the church in Rome, and think about this, Rome will soon go through massive tribulation. Believers will be taken into the circus, they'll be fed to the lions, they'll be crucified, they'll be set on fire. Paul himself in time in Rome would be beheaded. So he's talking to them about how do we live amongst this, this trial and this this difficulty, we need to band together in love. He doesn't just talk about how to work with one another, though. He also talks about how we're we supposed to act towards those who are outside the church. And so in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Whatever they're, they're going through, you know, bless them, even if they curse you. Bless them who persecute you. Don't curse them back. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If they're having a good day, if they're happy with life, rejoice with them in their life. If they're weeping, be there with them to weep. And we can do this together as well, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And he says in verse 16, in fact, be of the same mind toward one another. We should, If we're going to do this to people who are outside the church, we should be able to join with those who rejoice and weep within the church as well. And then he says, 
do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't just stick with the better people. But associate with those who are low. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Then he says in verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. He's talking to people who are going to go on through tribulation, who are going to be abused. And he says, if it's at all possible, as much as it relies upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We never see in the New Testament where we're instructed as believers, fight back. We'll never see in the New Testament where we're instructed by believers, as believers, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If they slap you, slap them back. The Chicago rules are definitely out. You know, those are the ones Sean Connery gave Kevin Costner. If they uh, bring a knife, you bring a gun. If they put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's not the Christ way. The Christ way is if they slap you, you give them the other cheek. The Christ way is if they burn you out of your home, you go find another home. The Christ way is if they curse you, you bless them. That's what he's getting at, that, that as believers, we need to be a blessing to the lost. Even in the midst of them being uh, against us, we need to be a blessing to them, to bless them. And that's, we see that in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then we see it again in uh, verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. And so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. The idea there is not that we would literally ask our enemy, are you thirsty? Let me give you a drink. But that we would see to the needs even of those who are our enemies. That we would seek how to bless them is the idea. That we would go out of our way to bless our enemies in such a way that, and he says the promise here is that if you do it, even if they don't acknowledge it, you will heap burning coals on their head. They will not be able to live with it. It will gnaw at them. That we need to be a blessing to the lost. And this is a tough one, isn't it? It's so hard because they're so foolish, the world. Those who don't know Jesus, who are walking in darkness, that's what Scripture says. They are walking in darkness. We once were walking in darkness. To the people walking in darkness, a light has shown. We've seen the light, and so we have accepted Jesus Christ, and we've believed in Him, but we're still surrounded by people walking in darkness. And because they're walking in darkness, they walk in ignorance. And I don't know about you, it can be very tough to put up with ignorant people. And I'm sure you've thought the same thing about me from time to time too. Like, hey, we put up with you and you're pretty ignorant, Pastor, in certain ways. It's frustrating. And yet we are to bless them and not curse them. To see how we might do good for them. And not to take 
notice in, in verse 19, it's never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Don't take vengeance, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now the question for us is, do we believe him when he says that? Do we believe him that vengeance is his, he will repay? That we don't have to? That if somebody hurts us, if somebody mistreats us, that our Father in Heaven knows it and saw it? And He's not happy about it? Have you ever sat around and seen somebody mistreat somebody you love and not get upset about it? What's really fun is when it's somebody you love and somebody you love and they mistreat one another, right? What do you do then? It doesn't make you happy and you don't just ignore it. Why would we think God will ignore it? He says to, to not seek revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Let Him take care of it. Give Him space to work. We don't have to do it. In fact, if we uh, will give Him space, He'll do it a lot better than we ever could. And that can be hard to believe when Christians are being taken into prison like they are in China. That can be hard to believe when they're having to go underground like they are in Afghanistan. It may not happen immediately, but we need to give Him room. We need to give Him time. We need to give Him the space to do it Himself that He will repay. Maybe His vengeance for some of the people that are hurting you, maybe His vengeance will be that they will accept Jesus Christ and His vengeance goes to the cross. If we just give Him time, if we bless them instead of curse them, maybe those people who you would just love to see burning in hell because they have really irked you. Maybe if you love them and bless them and do not curse them and you feed them when they're hungry and you give them water when they're thirsty, figuratively, not necessarily literally, his vengeance, you give him enough room, maybe his vengeance will be that they'll be in heaven with you. And all of his anger and all his wrath will have gone to the cross instead. Can you live with that? Is that okay? It's what He's done for us. What we need to do is, as, as He's saying this is that we need to trust in God to bring judgment. We don't need to do it ourselves. And this is tough in America, I think, more than other countries. You know, we, we can take justice into our own hands pretty quick. We have the attitude of, I'm going to you know, take care of what's mine and, our, and, you know, mine and what's mine. But throughout Scripture, the word for us as believers is to trust God and not to take vengeance. I think about the, the five missionaries that went to the Aka Indians. Nate Saint. I'm forgetting the other names are just whoosh, skipping right out. Huh? Jim Elliott. You know they had guns? They had guns. A couple of them actually shot, fired their pistols. Pistol and rifle. But they had decided before they went that they would never use them against the Indians to defend themselves. They, they merely planned to shoot in the air in the hopes that scare the Indians off. All five of them were killed even though they had the ability to defend themselves and fight back. But they could not stand the idea that they would kill people who were lost to save themselves when they knew where they were going. And so they did not shoot 
at the men who attacked them and speared them to death, even though they had superior firepower. But later on down the road, that was an issue for those, those Indians. Why didn't they kill us? They had the capability. It's what we would have done. And for the family members, why don't you take revenge? That's how we live our lives. You, you spear somebody, I'll spear you back. That was how they lived. They didn't understand anything but revenge. And here there were people in their lives that wouldn't take revenge and wouldn't defend themselves. What's wrong with them? And because of that, they came to faith in Jesus. Are we willing to trust in God to bring judgment? That we don't have to take vengeance? That we don't have to take our own revenge, but to leave room for God to do it? That we can trust Him and that we can have an attitude towards our enemies, not of I need to defend myself against them, but how can I bless them? Man, this is hard stuff. We've got to get our minds right before it happens because when it comes, we won't be ready. We've got to make up our minds beforehand like those five missionaries did. Because if it catches you by surprise, you might do something you didn't want to do. Right in the middle of this, look at how we can be a blessing to the lost and with this idea of trusting God to bring judgment. He says in verse 16, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Uh, do not be wise in your own estimation as right before never pay back evil for evil. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And then in verse 21 he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And remember back in verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think a big part of that is do not be wise in your own estimation. That, that we really need to go to God and say, okay, the way it looks to me, Lord, is that we need to fight. The way it looks to me, Lord, is we need to secede from this nation. Well, the way it looks to me, Lord, is we need to do fill in the blank. A lot of us, I've been there and sometimes still there, might be there this afternoon. We go there. But that's our own understanding. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not look upon yourself as being so brilliant. Acknowledge that maybe we're faulty people. Instead, we need to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. We don't need to be overcome by evil. And Overcome by evil doesn't just mean those that are outside us who will bring evil in our lives. To be overcome by evil is even the evil in my heart. That I not be overcome with my hate that I not be overcome by my anger, that I not be overcome by my desire for revenge or for self-protection or for uh, the benefits of a good economy, but rather overcome that evil with good, to hold on to what is good, to give God, who is definitely good, room to move in my life and in the lives of those around me. That can be tough. It was tough for the disciples. Remember, they didn't quite understand when they came to collect Jesus and to arrest Him, 
One of the disciples took a sword, well, more like a long knife, and was going to defend Jesus and chopped at him and cut off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. We know what Jesus said, right? Put up your sword. And Jesus' point was, don't you know that I've got thousands of angels that all I've got to do is call them and they will be here to defend me? In fact, if we go back to the Old Testament and Elisha being surrounded by the armies of Aram and he says that the ones that are with us are greater than those that are against us and then the servant's eyes are open and he sees all these chariots of angels that are surrounding that army. We can imagine, it doesn't say it, but we can imagine that in the garden that night while Jesus was being arrested by a mob of men with clubs and spears, that there were armies of angels present. And all he had to do is say the word. And he didn't. He says, don't you, th- don't you know, I've got legions of angels. I don't need you and your little knife to defend me. But the disciples didn't understand. Their, their own understanding, their wisdom was he's supposed to defeat the Romans and set Jerusalem back up and and be the king and be a mighty nation. Their understanding wasn't right. They didn't understand going to the cross. They didn't understand Him being uh, whipped and beaten and crucified for our sins. They didn't understand the crucified Messiah who dies. Stand. I think in similar ways, we don't understand. God says, don't seek revenge. And we say, but you don't understand, Lord. If we let them run over us, we'll just be run over all the time. He says, don't seek revenge. But you don't understand, Lord. If we let them do that, just take everything we have. They'll kill us. They'll plunder us. We've got to do something. But he says, no, bless them. Do not take your own revenge but leave room for the wrath of God. And that, that is tough to do. And I think the way we do it is we don't be wise in our own estimation. We say, okay, God is wiser than I am. I don't see it, I don't understand it, and it might hurt me, but I'm going to trust Him. And ultimately, that's what we've got to do. We have got to trust in God's strategy. His strategy was the cross. And Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. No student is greater than his teacher. If Jesus went to the cross, what is he calling us to do? Now we might not physically and truly go to a cross, but what did he say? If you do not take up your cross and follow me, you're unworthy of me. He didn't say take up your sword and follow me. He said take up your cross and follow me. So as we look at the world around us that seems uh, just bent on destruction, on foolishness, on darkness, how do we as a church respond? By living in hope. Not the hope that we can turn everybody around or the hope that, that our country will come out alright or that we can all be successful. No, the hope that we have in Jesus. Hope in Christ to trust in God and to trust in His plans, His strategy. His strategy is is we don't take revenge. His strategy is that we 
band together and encourage one another and help one another. And that our heart attitude towards outside the church, our heart attitude towards those who don't know Jesus, is that we would seek how can we bless them? Join with them when they mourn. Join with them when they rejoice. And bless them. Even if they hate us. Even if their desire is to harm us. How do we bless them? That's his plan. That's his strategy. To take those who are his enemies and make them his children. He did it with us. Now he wants to do it with us. That is the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we can look at the world and we can get so down. We can get frustrated. We can become depressed. Lord, help us to keep our eyes not on the events around us, but on Jesus Christ. Help us to focus our hearts and our minds on Him, that we would trust in Him and in, in Your Holy Spirit and in Your work and Your strategy. Lord, help us to trust that You will bring justice and judgment. We don't have to do it. Help us, Lord, as Your people to be people of peace who encourage and love one another and seek to bless our enemies. That we would bless those who, who persecute us. That we would bless and not curse them back. Lord, in our own lives, in our own abilities, in our own hearts, this is too much for us. But we know through Your Holy Spirit You can give us the power to withstand. That You can give us the opportunity and the ability to endure. We pray, Father, give us your Holy Spirit. Guidance in this way. And Father, we pray that our eyes would be kept on Jesus Christ, our hope and salvation, in whose name we pray. Amen.